0: Hundred thousand families
1: responded, I've never heard anything like that, and 75% of them want their kids back in school in September.
2: And a lot of employers would then actually follow what the school's people are doing and will adjust um, schedules, because there shouldn't be a difference, There's, we should never be pitting parents against teachers or kids' needs against parents' needs to work. And I think that employers would Brady, be very can
0: open I, to it.
2: Discussions about sending kids back to school in the fall. As uh, the first uh, voice you heard there was Mayor de Blasio in New York. They uh, A communist making sense. But they did a survey and a huge response. Usually people don't respond to these <laughs> things, right? Like, Whatever. Yeah. I'm not filling this out. People did fill it out. Said, yeah, I want my kid back in school um and then the the whole discussion of well how to how do i send my kid to school day i don't have a job so uh daycare and blah 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 and employers adjusting their schedules whatever at the end of the day we got to get kids back to school we may I make think that- it's worth pointing out that the second voice you
1: heard was a a uh, uh, a person not making any sense whatsoever Randy Weingarten from the uh American Teachers Association or one of your giant teachers unions
2: but uh, whatever, we've got to figure it out. We've got to figure out a way to get kids back in school. That, right. That just everybody needs to, to come to terms with that. That is going to happen. Now, how are we going to do it? Exactly. I think you're completely right. Multiple studies,
1: multiple countries around the world, from Asia to Northern Europe uh, to Australia, uh, that say, listen, the kids don't suffer from this disease, except in very, very rare idiosyncratic cases. Um, and they don't tend to transmit it as much as adults do because they're not infected in the same way. Now, you know, these uh, studies are, are preliminary and, and perhaps we'll we'll learn, uh, you know, differently down the road, but for now, the science seems to indicate that the kids will be just fine. What about granny? Well, that's an absolutely legitimate question. Uh, we do have to protect granny. We do have to protect the older and vulnerable teachers and figure out a way to not screw them. Uh, I I get that, but
2: we got to quit allowing people to come in the studio and shout questions at us. (laughs) Stop it. So the one thing that
1: bothers me about the discussion, though, is you hear this over and over again. You'll hear it five times today if you follow the news, and you probably shouldn't. It'll make you crazy. But, well, yes, we do all want to open up the schools, but we need to find a way to do it safely. There is no perfect safety. There is a horrific lack of safety in keeping the kids at home.
0: I should be back in school.
1: I agree with you for once, Greta. (laughs) Thank you, Michael. That was brilliant. You have not only terrible depression and anxiety problems because the kids don't get to play. They don't get to see their friends. They don't get to interact. Um, But also the the teenage suicide rate is on the rise again. And and way, way, way more kids are going to die from suicide because they're isolated than could conceivably
2: die of the COVID. I asked for some texts from teachers because I wondered how they felt. I teach kindergarten, and I'm praying I will see my students in front of me this fall. The plan right now is for them to come twice a week, which is better than all online, I guess. I would prefer every day. Uh, God, I think if you come up with the mechanism to get them into school, and you think it's safe enough to be there at all, then why not every day? Yeah, it's it's pretty questionable. But we got this uh, text. uh, 85% of my teacher peers elementary school do not want to return. They're really scared about their health or passing the virus to someone they live with. That's that person's experience. That is
1: a great challenge. Again, we're not here to pitch one point of view 100% and and run down the other point of view 100% and oversimplify everything like the media insults your intelligence by doing every single day. But yeah, that is a challenge. How about a 50 year old teacher with mild asthma? How about a 65-year-old veteran teacher? Maybe they're a great teacher. Maybe they're a real gift to the children they interact with. But can you demand that a 65-year-old get into the Petri dish of, of elementary school, for instance, or a
2: high school? I work at a high school. Many of the teachers want to return to business as usual, which is the current plan. Others want a hybrid approach. They all miss the students. It's difficult because getting reliable information about COVID is so hard. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Yep. So knowing how to responsibly reopen is is also difficult. Yeah. That's true. When you when you're getting regularly changing information about who spreads it, how, at what point, and having the infection, et cetera, et cetera, uh, it does make it harder.
0: That's part of the conundrum of the the whole novel coronavirus. This is a new thing, and people are learning as we go, and Mm -hmm. we're not used to that as a society. We're used to being able to go to the internet and figure out what's happening. I
1: would just like the discussion to be a little more balanced and intelligent than it is. Recognize there are terrible, terrible risks to keeping the kids home.
2: As an Idaho teacher, I, she apparently just teaches about the state of Iowa, Idaho, the right. state capital, major exports, etc. Right, exactly. the,
1: the curious shape of the state,
2: very, <laughs> very fat at the bottom and thin at the top. As an Idaho teacher, I desperately want to go back to school. I had to do twice as much work and attend twice as many meetings during the school closure. I can believe that, that it was way harder and way more right. annoying. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Jack, everybody everybody agrees the so-called remote learning has been a disaster.
2: uh, This is a good angle here. Jack uh, and Joe. Joe's here, too. Thanks. Hi. Hubby is an elementary special ed teacher. Uh, The kids with autism, Down syndrome, intellectual disability, mentally retarded, is they now call intellectual disability. I didn't know that. He knows they need to get back to school. Um, uh, Tucker Carlson mentioned that that last night. A lot of kids that have special needs... They're not getting what they need at all by not getting into
1: the schools. Because a lot of the services we provide as a society, and I'm happy to support that, um, are delivered through schools. I need to
2: ask my sister, who's an
1: elementary school teacher, how she feels about the whole
2: deal. I would be interested in hearing that. It's got to have you know, I hadn't thought about that before, but clearly you would have a different view. I'm thinking of Sam's third grade teacher, who was like 25 years old, you know. And single uh I'm sure she'd be fine mm-hmm. with the going back to school if I'm older and have a health problem and live with my maybe even older husband, not so much, yeah,
1: or if you're my trigonometry teacher in high school who is roughly a hundred and hated children <laughs> i mean what what would she think <laughs> um, so uh. <laughs> Uh, or I, I had another.
2: It's I, funny how uh, <clears throat> the, the, the ages, I, I'd like to actually know the ages of my teachers because oh, yeah. I look back on them and they were, they were clearly in their hundreds. She's probably but, uh, 46. Sam taught, talks about some old teachers, you yeah. know, younger than me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Hey, how odd and extraordinary is it that various universities, including Harvard, have announced no classes all next year? No, no way. That's something. Doesn't that seem premature? Hasty? I mean, I get, I suppose I could get the idea of, look, we got to pick one or the other than go full after it and do it the best we can. And since we don't know that we can do in class, maybe we commit to the other one, I guess. But it just seems unnecessarily, well, hasty I have next spring,
2: you got a bunch of 18 to 23 year olds. Yeah. I have a relative who is going to start a graduate program in one of your major universities and they're not doing it. So. Just gonna—it's probably the best thing that ever happened to her. <laughs> just gonna lay out for a year, uh, and then go back. You know, assuming things get back to normal next year. But yeah, I don't—I don't understand why they can't teach, make it happen somehow with the—you the, know—the the least vulnerable population out there. Right, right. W- well, again, just a good balanced
1: discussion. Recognize virtually every. Well, the, the American Pediatric Association just said the kids got to go back to school. For a dozen different health reasons. You've got to get the kids back in school. What do
2: you do? I'm, I, I am absolutely, school is going to happen. That's the way I would look at it. It is going to happen. Kids are going to be in school. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's not even a discussion anymore. It's just how we make it happen. That's the attitude you should have. But similar to the whole NBA problem they have. Okay. We're there. As soon as you get a case in the, on the team or in the classroom, now what? So class of 30 kids, one kid tests positive. He's not feeling good, doesn't come in, gets the test, had it. You know he's had it and was spreading it before he left. Right. What do you do at that point? What about in a closed room with 30 other people, including the teacher? At the point that you have one of the teachers in the ICU,
1: the whole thing shuts down. Don't you think? Probably. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Oh, boy. Well, so can you open them? And then that's that's a reasonable discussion. Maybe I'm backtracking a little bit. Can you open them and keep them open? For any length of
1: time, they need to do whatever they can to protect the teachers. That's absolutely a valid concern because the way the COVID affects uh, adults. Um, on the other hand, we, and if we have to put the teachers in a spacesuit or a bubble or behind glass or whatever, in a bubble, it's it's got to be.
2: I'm picturing some of my grade school teachers in a bubble. Um, one of those bubbles you like rent to go out on a lake, and you're running
1: them. <laughs> they go around. One of those things. That's maybe I balls. hadn't.
2: Maybe I hadn't thought about this much. It's unlike me to not think things through. Um, <clears throat> sorry, allergies. <laughs> um, I get every cold that goes through my son's class. I, I, I you know, I, I somewhat dread the school year because okay, here comes me being sick all the time again right. season. If the COVID, Probably lack of character, but go if, on. If anybody in the classroom gets the COVID, is it just like when the cold goes through the classroom? Okay, looks like I'm getting the COVID now. And the great unanswered question, would that be the best thing that could happen? Well, my, my other son has got a, a, a practically no immune system for all these crazy medicines he's on. We oh, really, we're, according to his doctor, really supposed to try to avoid Bringing that into the house, so uh-huh. you end
1: up in the uh, you and your son end up in the the Motel Six for six weeks, right. eight weeks. Yeah, that's not good. Well, it, it ain't going to be easy. And you know, anybody who points out, well, this is a challenge and that's a problem. So you just have to counterbalance that against the
2: problems of keeping the kids. Well, home. it's you, a tough one, man. I'll Thanks, t- China. If it isn't, in, it's got to be way different than it was last year because we we did the you know the surveys here. You heard it if you were listening. From teachers and students, nobody ranked it at above like thirty percent of effectiveness compared to regular school, and most right. people were around twenty percent. Right, so it's got to be better than that. It right.
1: just has to be. Change the topic. Have you heard about the uh, the giant group of lefty writers, thinkers, and intellectuals who've signed a powerful letter against cancel culture? This is good stuff. This will give you hope that sanity can be restored. We'll have it for you. In moments. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: We missed the story last week about that... uh, semi truck full of hair that they uh, that that they stopped illegal hair we got to do that story i'm sorry i thought you said hair an entire semi truck <laughs> full of illegal hair uh, uh, illegal hair yeah from china
1: oh in the united wait states wait a minute i did hear that selling story.
2: wigs or going oh. to wig stores probably yeah. taken from prisoners or you know the forcibly from yeah concentration camp victims yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, fine country, China.
2: Biggest millions of dollars worth of human hair. Biggest hair bust in nation's history.
1: So I'll occasionally say with at least mild sarcasm, don't give me hope. Because it's only if I have hope that I'm disappointed. So I'm going to uh, do you the disservice right now of giving you a little bit of hope. A group of more than 100 prominent liberal writers, prof- professors, and activists have come together and signed an open letter against cancel culture. The list of folks is long, and I ought to dig up the whole list. Maybe you could do that, Sean, real quick, if you don't mind. Uh, J.K. Rowling of Harry Potter fame, New York Times opinion editor Barry Weiss, political activist Noam Chomsky, all sorts of people have signed this letter, and I will read you parts of it. It's entitled, A Letter on Justice and Open Debate. Our cultural institutions are facing a moment of trial. Powerful protests for racial and social justice are leading to overdue demands for police reform, along with wider calls for greater equality and inclusion across our society, not least in higher education, journalism, philanthropy, and the arts. All right, fine and dandy. Everybody's for equality. But this needed reckoning has also intensified a new set of moral attitudes and political commitments that tend to weaken our norms of open debate and toleration of differences in favor of ideological conformity. As we applaud the first development, we also raise our voices against the second. Then they go ahead and, and give their liberal bona fides, including calling President Trump a real threat to democracy.
2: Oh yeah, you mean you mentioned Noam Chomsky. You can't get any more left than Noam Chomsky, but he's the old left. Right. Where you would have these discussions and not hound somebody out of their job. Oh, that reminds me. I got to get to that Boeing
1: executive who was hounded out of his job for something he said 30 years ago. I'll tell you right now, 30 years ago, he said, I don't believe women should be in combat. Wow. That's it. Which was an 85 to 95% attitude 30 years ago. It's probably 75 now. But yeah, he was forced to resign. He was pressured to resign.
0: That anyway, is troubling. This is what these people are talking about. I promise anyone when I'm 70, was that to say, you will not have to pressure me to resign anything. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll have to chain me to my chair to keep me working. Yeah, yeah no, I'm gone.
1: <laughs> anyway, uh, it also warns that the resistance should not harden into its own brand of dogma or coercion. Too late. Insisting that an intolerant climate has plagued both sides of the aisle. The free exchange of information and ideas, the lifeblood of a liberal society, is daily becoming more constricted. While we have come to expect this on the radical right, I suppose maybe like the way right, uh, censoriousness is also spreading more widely in our culture. An intolerance of opposing views, a vogue for public shaming and ostracism, and the tendency to dissolve complex policy issues in a binding, blinding moral certainty. We uphold the value of robust and even caustic counter speech from all quarters, but it is now all too common to hear calls for swift and severe retribution in response to perceived transgressions of speech and thought. And one more little bit more troubling still institutional leaders in a spirit of panicked damage control are delivering hasty and disproportionate punishments instead of considered reforms. We are already paying the price in greater risk aversion among writers, artists, and journalists oh, who are fear you for their me? livelihoods if they depart from
2: the consensus or even lack sufficient zeal in agreement. Anybody who's in the public eye at all who hasn't had those feelings, you're crazy. You're crazy. You're You are not reading the room. You right. have to be careful and scared of what you can and cannot say. Yeah,
1: yeah. So uh, New York Times columnist David Brooks and Michelle Goldberg signed this letter. CNN host Fareed Zakaria, Atlantic writer David Frum, Handmaid's Tale author Margaret Atwood, feminist icon Gloria Steinem, among others, uh, all signing on to this letter.
2: There is hope. The A lot of old, over 50 liberals. Those are the ones standing up for that sort of thing. Yeah, there's hope,
1: though, that they can at least talk some sense to the youngsters, enough sense, to to hold back the tide of this so it doesn't go any further and let these people recover their senses and understand that. Uh, no offense, because I was guilty of this myself. The ignorance of youth. Plus, the enthusiasm of youth should probably not be granted dictatorial powers over what a society is allowed to say.
2: That's why you should have to be 35 to vote.
1: I agree completely. Or really, speak in public. (laughs) I'm willing to say 30 if you have a full-time job. Armstrong and Getty.
0: show we're going
2: to talk china coming up china biggest country in the world china evil by the way
1: so just a quick follow-up to our previous segment talking about the group of more than 100 liberal writers activists thinkers uh, teachers etc who signed on to a letter calling for the end of cancel culture and the uh, ideological fascism of the left, um, which I think is admirable, and I'm glad they did it. Uh, from the Department of Almost So Much Irony, I Can't Stand It, a trans woman who works at Vox.com noticed that her colleague Matt Iglesias is, was assigned the, the, the letter that we're discussing. She says, of course, he's entitled to his opinion. He's uh, a nuanced thinker. He's been kind to me. He's promoted my work. But it makes me feel unsafe that he signed that letter. I don't want Matt to be reprimanded or fired or even asked to submit an apology. Uh, But I do want to make clear that those beliefs cost him nothing. They're not particularly risky. They're not particularly sound, even. You are insane, Emily Vanderwerf. You are so twisted and diluted by your ideology. Um, you are defending the indefensible. And if you'd ever like to discuss that, I would be more than delighted to do that. But That is uh, uh, an amazingly rich irony. Although I will give her credit for saying, look, I don't want the guy fired or anything like that.
2: You know what, uh, like uh, Noam Chomsky, which if you know his, his act, I mean, in my mind, he's a crazy person, but he's, a, he's an old school liberal. You know what, him, Bill Maher, Matt Taibbi, liberals like that, Sam Harris, you know what they have in common? They believe they're all for getting on a stage with somebody else's idea. They believe their idea will win the day if everybody gets to have an argument. Right. Apparently, the crowd in the streets does not believe that, or the, you know, the, 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 the doxing crowd. You must not believe your, your argument would win right. the day because you will not even allow the other side to say, to, to, to make a peep. Well, and there's no arguing that the
1: post-World War II period in the U.S., you know, the 50s, uh, a good chunk of the 60s, were a period of great conformity, and enforced conformity. And a lot of these people spent their entire lives saying dissenting opinions must be heard. You cannot silence me because you don't like my ideas. And they won the day. And they have enough moral courage and enough character to say, wow, what I campaigned for my whole life is now being killed by my own side, and I won't have it. So good for you all. We might disagree on everything, but I admire your commitment. Indeed, even signing this letter is putting their careers at risk in a proof of what they've said.
2: Yeah, I want to get to the um, uh, China stuff, TikTok stuff, but I'm, I'm just reading more on this. Oregon man driving stolen car crashes into woman driving another stolen car. Does anybody buy a car in Oregon or rent one? It's just quite a story. Well, Police chase, police chase ended in Oregon when a driver fleeing authorities in a stolen car crashed into a woman, and they realized that she was also <laughs> driving a stolen car. That's just something. Oregon's experiment with
0: lawlessness, like California's. And she And was Washington drunk.
1: State's. And drunk.
0: So she's a... If this isn't a rom-com in five years, I don't even know what no, people are doing with their time. She's
2: pretty cute. He's <laughs> a good-looking guy. They'll make a good couple.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a sketchy premise, because they're both
1: obviously criminals. But they'll be like... <laughs> Charming criminals who yeah. only did that because they're, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah, we can, the, we can work that the out. The man wider, shut down the writer's business. Business. yeah, business. Yeah, yeah,
0: right. yeah. They're forced into crime out of desperation or right. something. Right, exactly. Yeah. They're really nice
1: people, yeah. <laughs> they needed a medicine or something. Ah, right, whatever.
2: I don't have the TikTok app. Uh, never had it on my phone, I don't think. My daughter sends us charming dog-related TikTok videos uh, on a fairly regular basis. She has the actual app. Yes. Like, I've seen plenty of TikTok videos, like, on Twitter or various places. Yeah. But the TikTok app is, uh, well, it's becoming less popular. It's a Chinese-owned company. And uh, according China. to China, so let's hear from Mike Pompeo yesterday. He's the Secretary of State for the United States.
0: With respect to Chinese apps on people's cell phones, I can assure you the United States will get this one right too, Laura. I don't want to get out. And, I don't want to yeah. get out in front of the president, but it's something we're looking at.
1: Would you recommend that people download that
0: app on their phones? Only if you want your private information in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. And
2: lots of apps are good at stealing your information. This one apparently is really good at it, getting into your phone and any other device attached to your phone. Yeah. You know, like if you got the Apple stuff, it, it troubles me how. Like, I got an iPad for my kids to use for Minecraft and stuff like that. It took me a long time to figure out how to not have my texts, you know, any of my texts between my wife and I or, you know, work or whatever. Oftentimes, not stuff you want the kids to see uh, showing up on that iPad. Right. Or whatever laptop you get. Well, TikTok, you know, has a way to get into everything once you download it. And um, it has been, um, it still exists in the United States. I'm kind of surprised by that. Did you see the statement from TikTok? They said, we have an American CEO, we have
1: never given any information to the Chinese Communist Party, and if if they ask, we'll tell them no. Which is a lot like me saying, any cop tells me to put my hands behind my back, no way I'm doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, oh yeah, TikTok. So Chairman Xi says, yeah, I'd like to have a meeting with you. You're going to tell them you're too busy, Chinese
2: company. Ha, that's hilarious. India banned the app last week. Really? Yeah. Uh I'll be danged. Um, and we're considering banning it in the United States. Great Britain, where they do have the TikTok app, uh, they have, because of the TikTok app, now soured on the idea of letting Huawei provide their 5G cell phone service, which is good news for the free world because it looked like Europe was going to allow the commies to install their cell phone systems. And have access to freaking everything. Which was astonishing at the
0: time and remains astonishing. Did they it, ever thought of it? I'm curious what the banning of an app mechanics are like. Is it, Can we just keep that out via like a firewall for just kind of a generic term? Good Excellent question. question. Does I it just n- automatically get deleted off your phone if you've already downloaded it? I have it? no idea. Huh.
2: I have no idea. If I get caught with them, I am in trouble. Or does it? Yeah. Is, who Who is in charge of getting it off my phone? How do
1: you, yeah, block something off the internet? Now the Chinese are pretty good ab- about that with, with great firewalls.
2: Sensors, but
0: yeah, but stuff, we don't but have national firewalls.
2: Right. Right. The Great Firewall of China, they call it. Yeah, mm.
0: I don't think that's true. It's has no, been over thousands is, of years. It
2: is the the yeah. protesters, the the people who are against it in China, call it the Great Firewall of hey, China. Ew. The government trying to keep oh, them from being that. from being able to nice. communicate or get to books that they're not supposed to read and all that sort of stuff. Mm. It's really just freaking amazing. Well,
1: oppressing people isn't easy work, Jack. You know, you need a little help here and there. Yeah, firewall. Uh, draconian, horrific laws in Hong Kong. Eh. Harvesting people's
2: hair. Exactly. You got to break a few eggs. So they found a semi-truck uh, in the Northeast, uh, stopped it for whatever reason, and it was full of illegal hair. Mm. Uh, from China, they believe, headed to various wig shops and that sort of stuff. Millions of dollars worth total. Wow, that's a lot Millions of hair. Millions of dollars that's worth what of hair. That's said.
1: Well, that's packed in there tight. It's hey, like, beautiful hair. Until they shaved it. Hair doesn't I'll, take
2: up a lot of space. You could have a hell of a lot of hair. In a uh, you, you yeah. pack
1: it tight. You pack it in bricks of hair. It's not just a pile of hair like the barber shop. You press it down and you package. It, it looks like kilos of cocaine. Ship it about.
2: You have. Kilos I was briefly
1: of... in the uh, clandestine <laughs> hair trade.
2: Kilos of. Uh, I suppose you, you 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 separate it by color. You got the darker. You got the lighter. You got the 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 red.
1: I think it's mostly darker, coming from Chinese dissonance. <laughs> Probably not a lot, not of, a lot of natural blondes. <laughs> not a lot of red hair. They're in uh, Wu Tang.
2: But they think, yeah, it comes from the slave <laughs> la- the slave labor, or the concentration camps, or whatever. They're just shaving people and selling the hair. Yeah. And there were companies. This is the part they're trying to figure out: Are these companies knowingly buying Chinese prisoner hair? Or did they were they misled?
1: Well, heck, in China, it may be slaves shaving the other slaves' hair, because that's what doing business with China can be. And all the big American corporations making great shows of their moralism these days that regularly do business with China and Saudi Arabia and the rest of us. And part of my Ugh, slave gig hypocrisy. is I have
2: to shave other slaves? Yeah. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Mm. Um. Uh, they've introduced the Karen Act in California. One San Francisco lawmaker has introduced <gasps> the Karen Act. Do tell. To uh, outlaw racially exploitive 911 calls. Oh, shut up. Oh, I just
1: I, I. resent being put in the position where I have to explain why something indefensible shouldn't
0: happen. God, you who who's in charge of this? I want a name. Give me a name! Now, you, now you haven't mentioned that the Alex Karen... Alex <laughs> That's not the name. Karen Act is actually an acronym. Did you get to the acronym part of it? Oh, because, no. Because it's spelled C-A-R-E-N. Right. Yeah. As opposed to the typical, you know, when you're when you're making fun of people on Twitter, you use sure. the K spelling. Yeah. Here it is.
1: It's the Caution Against Racially Exploitive Non-Emergencies Act. <laughs>
2: so they went out of their way to make it spell Karen. I got gotcha. Introduced
1: by San Francisco Stupidvisor Shaman Walton. Mr. or Ms. Walton... You are a crackpot. You're a bad American. I I, I I pray for the day you leave office.
0: Now, making a false report is already a crime. So does sure. this? This is just like an, uh, a multiplier. If you make a false racial I component, guess it to has, it, I guess any racial. Well, okay, it's like a hate
2: crime thing because oh, you know, for God's uh, sake, me hitting Joe on the head is already a crime. But if he's black, then you add in it's a hate crime. So I guess the Karen Act is similar. I suppose. Uh, I, I, it, Making it would, a false report is a crime, but if it's if I'm white and they're black, it's an extra crime.
1: Is there any group of human beings on earth that has to roll their eyes more than the San Francisco police, the Portland police, and the Seattle police? It, this bill amends the San Francisco police code to make it unlawful for someone to fabricate a report based on someone's race, ethnicity, gender affiliation, uh, religious affiliation, or sexual orientation. There's a gay fella gaying right in front of my house. You what color is the sky in your world? You your skull is completely numb. <laughs> <laughs> I just I can't
2: believe what the world is turning into. Um so been wanting to talk about this a little more I'm scared to, even though statistically it's easily defended. Uh the whole Hey, if Black Lives Matter, how come we're not paying attention to these various cities that have just exploded, even by their standards, in black-on-black violence? Children being gunned down. Uh, Horrific. Yeah, it's something, and some people are speaking out. More on that coming up.
1: Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Finally, I'd end with this. You know, I was asked probably 12 questions about the Confederate flag. Uh, this president's focused on action, and I'm a little dismayed that I didn't receive one question on the deaths that we got in this country this weekend. I didn't receive one question about New York City shootings doubling for the third straight week and over the last seven days, shootings skyrocket by 142 percent. Not one question. I didn't receive one question about five children who were killed. And I'll leave you with this remark by a dad. It broke my heart. A dad of an eight-year-old lost in Atlanta this weekend. They say black lives matter. You killed a child. She didn't do nothing to nobody, was his quote. We need to be focused on securing our streets, making sure no lives are lost, because all black lives matter, that of David Dorn and that of this eight-year-old girl. Thank you.
2: Doesn't help the narrative. Shut up. That's Trump's uh, press person right there. Um, well, you heard what she said, and now we'll hear from Terry Cruz, who was on CNN with Don Lemon talking about this.
0: I don't want to move from one oppressor to the next. And one thing is really Who's who's the next
1: oppressor? Who's the next oppressor?
2: When I when I describe this, when you look in the city of Chicago, there are nine children who died by gun violence, by black on black gun violence, uh, from June twentieth all the way to today. And you're talking about even with the Atlanta child murders, there were twenty eight kids
0: who who died in two years. You're talking about a month, and you have nine black kids and. The Black Lives Matter movement has said nothing.
2: So it's, yeah, I get worried talking about these things, especially now, you know, because we have a friend who said all lives matter and no longer has a career. Um, but the overlooking of the fact that it's just statistically so true, it's not even close. Right. If you're a young black man and you're going to die by being shot, overwhelmingly, statistically, it's going to be another black dude shoot you. It's
1: thousands to one. It's As not opposed even close. to a, a police officer shooting you when you're unarmed.
2: Or a scared white suburbanite. Right. Like I saw a story in the newspaper over the weekend about um, um, uh, gun sales are up for, uh, for African Americans, black people buying guns, and it was all about scared about, worried about scared white people. With... With so little attention being played, paid to the black on black violence that goes on. And, and that's a tough
1: narrative. That's a tough story to discuss. That's not easy, and pardon me, black and white.
2: But it's so it's so difficult to, get, to even start down this road because people start into the it's an either-or. You either got to be discussing this one or this one, and this is just a diversion away from racist cops mm. and uh, in institutional racism. Even if you want to believe cops are racist and we have institutional racism, you still have to deal with the statistics of the black-on-black violence. And whether it's Sam Harris's podcast that I tweeted out, I mean, just full of stats backing this up. And as Terry Cruz, who's a black man, was pointing out there, why do Black Lives Matter? If Black Lives Matter is your point, you've got to include it all. Yeah, and and if you're just looking at numbers of of, of dead bodies, it's overwhelmingly from other young black men. I don't mind the fact that a
1: group might just concentrate on police violence. Oh, sure, you get That's to do okay. that. I mean, uh, the folks who raise money to fight leukemia don't have to fight nope. money to to uh, raise money to fight heart disease. They're not obligated to. But at the same time, the the monolithic media narrative that the problems of Black America are are white people and white racism, um, and, and uh, nasty white cops is just—it's not true. There are no statistics that bear that out. That's not to say it's not a problem. We're li- we're proudly small L libertarians around here. We think the idea of a government official, whether it be a cop or a tax collector or a county building inspector, abusing the citizens of a free country, we find that horrific and disgusting. And wherever it's found, it should be rooted out and ended. Having said that, I mean, the the death toll is terrible from black-on-black violence.
2: Well, the quote there that you heard from uh, Trump's uh, hottie White House uh, press spokesman there... Um, I've seen a number of older black men and women. They're usually older, like grandparent age, mm-hmm. who are really making the argument, hey, we're killing each other. How come nobody's paying attention to that? What are we going to do about that? We're killing each other. It's like like constantly.
1: Yeah. Maybe the, the word of the, the decade is nuance. All nuance is being lost. I mean, you can't even get to like level two of a discussion Never mind level five, where you get down to, you know, the really difficult discussions. No, we're just shouting slogans at each other, and
2: it's uh, it's a little discouraging. Man, I can't imagine living in a neighborhood where you have to worry about that sort of thing all the time.
1: Yeah, I know it. It's absolutely terrible. It's oppressive, and and it's and it is. You know, to my mind, I believe what I believe, and you can believe what you believe. But it it's the result of the policies of the last sixty years. A lot of this stuff is. It has dismantled black families. It's disincentivized raising your own children. It's disincentivized uh, fathers staying at home. It's it's glorified exactly the wrong behaviors. It's subsidized the wrong behaviors. It's just terrible, and and you know I just I don't know if I could wave my magic wand and communicate one thing. It would be to a lot of our our black uh, brothers and sisters to say I don't think the Democratic Party has your best interests in mind at all. Now. I don't know if the Republicans do either, but if you keep voting ninety percent for one party, they're not going to do anything for you. Uh,
0: boy! Serious stuff. Do we have anything humorous That's there? What uh? I was just looking President around. What for? Uh, turn to me, hey, hey, Sean, tell us a joke. Hey, <laughs> get us a, get us out of this awkward clown. situation.
2: That reminds you know, me we we interviewed uh, answar Aziz. Is that what his name?
0: Ansees and sorry,
2: <laughs> I was not <nothing laughs> close. <Shemini. laughs> I remember. I think that's a river in Egypt. Anyway, the we, thing you said. We interviewed. I your straight, Jack. <laughs> we interviewed him, and we said we're not going to ask you to be funny. We're going to talk about various stuff because you know, you know. People have you on and they think you're going to be funny and you're not doing your act. And he said, yeah, he said, I appreciate that because a lot of times I go on radio shows and people want me to be funny. And I think, uh, yeah, I'm eating a banana. I guess bananas are kind of funny. Uh, What's with the stringy stuff? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, no, we can't turn to Sean and just say, be funny. (laughs) More signs sports ain't
1: going to happen. I mean, I hope they do. But several major league baseball teams have shut down their camps because they can't get the tests. So it's they're trying, but it is just
0: floundering. Still looking for a good answer for why that is.
2: Armstrong and Getty.